Hey everybody, Pastor Brent here. Uh, Rebecca and I are in Israel right now. We're on an educational tour through the Holy Land. In fact, right now we're in an area called En Gedi. En Gedi is the area where David hid from King Saul uh, during the time after he was anointed, but before he was crowned King of Israel. In fact, you can see behind me some of the kinds of caves where uh, King David and his men would have hidden uh, from Saul and his army. It's an amazing experience. Uh, we're learning so much. We miss you guys. We love you. I cannot wait to come back and share uh, what I'm learning with you. But today, you are in very, very good hands. Uh, Pastor Mark Seagraves is going to preach part two of our one series. So would you give Pastor Mark Seagraves a warm, one family welcome Put your hands together. Pastor Mark, come on up here, man, and preach the word. Wow. A video introduction internationally given. Isn't that awesome? Man. So, uh, so great that they're getting an opportunity to be over there. They'll be back uh, soon, but I know that they're having a, an awesome time and uh, finding some rest. and Well, maybe not rest, but they're finding some inspiration uh, as they travel through the Holy Land. Uh, man, just glad to be here with our church family. How many of you just think we've got an awesome church family, right? Man, I love it. Uh, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Brent actually shared an incredible uh, message that he called One Family. Uh, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go to onefamilychurch.com and uh, check that out. Just go to the media and watch that. It's such a powerful, powerful uh, message. We live in a, in a time of real division. Uh, so often expressed through hate and violence, and uh, his message last Sunday was uh, really presented a powerful uh, solution to the crisis, and so I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, that's one of the many reasons why I love the mission of One Family Church. If you're not familiar with that, uh, our mission is bringing people and God together in love. That is the mission of our church family, and I love to watch that happen week in and week out as our church family just lives it out by serving one another, by serving in our community. And uh, so I want to I take just a few moments this morning and talk about that mission and approach it perhaps from a different direction than we might expect. So let's jump into this today with Matthew chapter 6 and the words of Jesus. Uh, so Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 31, and it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, Therefore, do not worry. Just look at somebody right next to you and just tell them, don't worry. Just tell them, just admit it, you're worrying. Stop it. Just tell them that. <laughs> Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus is actually speaking here. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, you've probably uh, heard of that many, many times in your life. And actually, Pastor Brent is probably getting a chance to go stand on the same hill where Jesus spoke that message. Hear this Sermon on the Mount. It's a treatise on how beautiful life really can be in the kingdom of God. And he finds it necessary right in that message to say, don't worry. And the reason why he does that is because we all worry. We just have a little bit of authenticity, transparency. Can anybody just confess today that you are a professional 
at worry. Come on, just thank you, thank you. We have a class for liars right after church. The rest of you, but yes. Yeah, we, we worry. We worry about the economy. We worry about the housing market, the job market. We worry about the price of gas, the price of food, price of health care, the crime rate. We worry about the future of our country and our family and et cetera. We are professionals at this thing called worry. And so we live with a constant companion called stress. Anybody familiar with stress? Yeah, we are good at that in the United States of America, well acquainted with stress. In fact, every year people in this country spend almost a billion dollars just on tranquilizers because people are stressed out. People don't have peace. This, this might be remarkable to you. The United States actually has 5% of the world's population, but we take 33% of the available pills. <laughs> We're messed up people, man. I'm telling you right now. So my background, part of my background is in, is in counseling and in psychology. Uh, so let me just walk us through a quick little stress test just to see how you're doing this morning with worry and stress. We'll see how professional you are at this practice. So I'm going to give you some sentences. I just want you to shout out whatever word it is that comes to your mind just to see where you're at as we assess uh, worry and stress in your life. You guys ready? Just shout out the word. First sentence is this. I'm all stressed. Perfect. I'm all shook. I'm at the end of my... I'm about to come un... Wow, you guys... First service, they came undone and unglued and a bunch of other things. You guys are just undone, all right? I'm about to fall apart. I'm ready to throw in the... See, you guys are professionals. You know all the language that people use... When they're worried and stressed out. But I know some of you are in here right now and you're like, you know what? I'm not really convinced. I think I'm handling life pretty well. Let me just give you one last test just for those who aren't fully convinced. I want you to think for a moment about the most relaxing environment that you can think of. Maybe sandy beaches, a beautiful uh, tropical ocean, kind of paradise sunshine. And in just a moment, I'm going to show you a picture of a couple of beautiful dolphins that are just leaping out into the air over the ocean. And I want to let you judge for yourself the level of stress that you're under. You guys ready? Go ahead and show the picture of the two dolphins. And let's just assess. Aren't they beautiful? Now listen, if you're seeing anything other than two dolphins, you might want to pay attention today and take some notes. Just write them, write them on down. In fact, I discovered today that, that, our, that our first service did not realize that One Family Church is actually now on version. And so if you go to version and you click in the bottom right-hand corner, you click more, and then you click events, you're going to see One Family Church come up, and all of the notes for the service are right there. You can actually take notes in version or with the printed notes that we gave you today. So you guys feeling stressed out? Or are you guys okay? You guys doing all right? Just making sure you're all right. Okay, we can take our dolphins down. Don't want anybody to stress out even more. Jesus says... Don't worry. Don't, don't worry about things like what am I going to eat or drink or wear. Jesus says you don't need to worry about any, any of that because if you'll focus on your relationship with God, he's going to take care of all of that. It's a promise. And I love how the Apostle Paul expresses this promise in Philippians 4.19 from the Amplified Version. It says, and my God will liberally supply, fill to the full your every need according to his riches in glory 
in Christ Jesus. I know when we read that verse, a lot of times we think it, it relates solely to our finances. And I think we need to include finances in that because he says, I'm going to meet every need. But this goes well beyond, way beyond money to encompass every area of human existence. He's basically saying your basic needs, your deepest needs, God is going to supply. I want to encourage somebody this morning. That is God's promise to you. And nobody keeps a promise like God keeps a promise. Look at Psalm 105, verse 8. He will keep his agreement forever. He will keep his promises always. And here's the reason why God is so good at keeping his promises. Look at 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In other words... God doesn't keep his promises because we're good. He doesn't keep his promises because we behaved really well this week. Because we said no to sin. We said no to Krispy Kreme. Actually, I know that I did not say no to Krispy Kreme. Actually, I said no. Robin did not. Robin has become a stumbling block for me in some areas of my life. So, I'm sorry. I just threw her under the bus and I am in trouble. Now there's worry and stress in my life. Um, amen. <laughs> he says amen but God doesn't keep his promises because we're good he keeps his promises because he is good so because of that look at that person again beside you and tell him don't worry do you know that's actually one of our greatest desires as human beings to live without worry to live without stress to be at peace And God understands that he understands that Deep within us is this craving, this intense longing for peace. So the Bible addresses that. And it actually reveals to us that there are two kinds of peace and they are so intricately connected together that you can't have one without the other. So I want to take just a moment and, and put these two pieces together. I know that is spelling is all messed up there and grammar is all messed up there, but once in a while it's okay to break the rules. We're going to put the pieces together. So I want you to write down this first one and then I'll unwrap it a little bit. Through Jesus, I have peace with God. Through Jesus, I have peace with God. Let me give you the condensed version of the human story, kind of going back to Genesis chapter 1. God created us. God blessed us. God gave us an incredible purpose. He invited us into an amazing, intimate relationship with him. God literally said, here's the whole world. Enjoy. Oh, by the way, there, there is one tree on the whole planet that I, that I need you to avoid because it actually brings death. But other than that, just have at it. Can anybody guess how that story is going to turn out? Does anybody remember being a teenager? Show me the line and I'll get right up to it. In fact, I may step over it a little bit. Some of us are not teenagers anymore and we're still doing that. Somebody said amen. We like to be transparent around here. He says... He says, you can enjoy this whole thing, but avoid that tree. Five minutes later, maybe, Adam and Eve are messing up. And through their mistake, through their sin, because we are their offspring, we all have messed up. We decided that we knew better than God what was best for us. So we sinned. And with sin came 
distance. With sin came death. Remember, God had actually said, if you eat of this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will die. And we know that they did not die physically that day. In fact, the Bible actually indicates that Adam lived for a long, long time. But we've got to not think about death in terms of the, the Greek mind about death or some kind of a cessation of existence, but rather from the Hebrew perspective where death literally means separation and distance. And that's exactly what happened in that story. Separation and distance. Adam did begin to die that day, and eventually he did physically die, but he was immediately feeling separated from God. And I want you to know why that feeling of separation happens. This is Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy, that it cannot hear. In other words, there's no problem with God. God's fully able to reach you. He's fully able to hear you. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The reality is, yeah, the problem's not with God. The problem is with us. Sin makes us want to run. Sin makes us want to hide. And so when you go to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, as soon as they make a mistake, they begin to play hide and seek with God. Adam and Eve are hiding. God is seeking. By the way, that's a beautiful picture of his heart for the entire human race. God has been seeking us for thousands and thousands of years looking for people that will turn their heart to him. But sin creates that feeling of distance and separation, and that's something that we just could not fix. And so God knew that. And so God took care of that for us through Jesus Christ. What we celebrated just a few moments ago in communion, we celebrated the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus because in that is the good news. Did you know that sin is something that, that God cannot tolerate? And so there is a, he has, the Bible actually describes it in terms of wrath or anger against sin. Please don't think of it in terms of human wrath and anger, like getting red in your face, you know, when you're mad. This is a judicial wrath. It's a judicial punishment, a recompense as a penalty for sin. And the Bible says that all of God's wrath against sin was placed on Jesus Christ. All of it. The judicial sentence was carried out on Jesus who took upon himself, the Bible says, the sin of the whole world. And so here's where this miracle of the good news happens in our life. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust in his death and his burial and his resurrection, then God does something crazy. He actually issues a declaration over our broken, messed up lives. And he says, because your faith is in Jesus, you are right with me. He doesn't wait till we get our act together. He doesn't wait till all of our bad habits are fixed. He literally says, if you'll trust me, you are right with me. And that declaration is based not on my behavior. It's based on the work of Jesus. And I want to encourage some of you because some of you walked into this place today and your faith is in Jesus, but you felt distance and separation. You don't have to feel that anymore. If your faith is in Jesus, you are right with God. And this is what happens. I love this. This is the result of putting your faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, having been justified, that's been declared right by God, by faith. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he's talking about peace here, he's not talking about the absence of chaos. He's talking about the healing of a relationship between two estranged parties. 
He's saying there was a conflict, there was a barrier, there was a wall between us and God. And because of Jesus, that wall has been removed and we now are at peace with God. There's been a restoration of that relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. I could levitate off this platform right now. I'm kind of excited about the good. Look, look at that verse. It's amazing because there's nothing in that verse about what I have to do to bring about reconciliation. It was God's desire to be reconciled. And because of what he did through Christ, there is no more death. There is no more distance. We have peace with God. No more barriers. No more obstacles. We have free access into his presence. And I hope somebody's hearing me today that because of your faith in Jesus, you are at peace with God. And if you came in here feeling far away, a lot of times, I, I feel this all the time because I'll slip into that other mentality where I think it all relies on me, where it's based on how good I'm performing, how well I'm behaving. And whenever I feel away, I realize that the focus of my attention is on me. And I want to give you the secret of feeling close to Jesus. Look at him. Stop looking at yourself and finding all of the reasons why you have to stay away from God and look at Jesus and you'll see every reason why you can come close. Through Jesus, we have peace with God and that's the foundation for the second kind of peace. Because we are at peace with God, we can have the peace of God. Jesus said in John 14, this is just moments before he was going to be taken away. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You skip down to John 14, verse 25. He says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that's the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I, I want to leave a gift with you, though. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the gift or the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Here's Jesus living among men for about 33 years, he's accomplished his purpose and he's leaving. He's getting ready to transition from dwelling with man to dwelling in man through the Holy Spirit. But he wants to make sure that he provides for one of our deepest needs, and that is peace. And I love how the New King James actually puts it. It says, my peace I give to you. It's not the world's peace. You see, the world's peace is the idea of the absence of chaos. If I can just get to a tropical island, if I could just be in a peaceful place, Robin and I have actually experienced that. At one point in our lives, this has been 17, 18 years ago, we actually lived in Hawaii for about six months. And every time we tell people that, they're like, whoa, sandy beaches and beautiful, tropical, and, and, and it was beautiful. But we moved August the 15th of 2001. And if you know anything about that particular time in the history of the United States, it was three weeks later that 9-11 took place. And then all of a sudden, this beautiful paradise was locked down because of that. I want you to think about, for a moment, the worldly concept of peace is trying to find a place where there is no turmoil, is no tragedy, is no chaos, all of that. But that's not what God's perspective of peace is. We're over here, okay, God, if I can get every bill paid, if I can get every problem solved, if I can get every child in my house just to be quiet for five minutes... 
If I can get every dish cleaned, if I, if, if, if. He says, no, that's not my kind of peace. My kind of peace is where I can give you a steadfast, deep, abiding calm in the face of difficulty, in the middle of your chaos. You could be like Jesus standing on water in the middle of a storm and yet be at peace. That's what I want. The Hebrews would call that shalom. Would you say that? Shalom. That's a peace that transcends the emotional level or the mental level or the physical level. It's a peace that's about a complete wholeness. Shalom. A steadfast calm at the deepest and most complete level. Down in the deepest part of your soul, that part that usually feels drawn to fear and paranoia and anxiety and, and it reacts to trauma and it, it overreacts and there's panic attacks and Jesus says, that's where I'm going to give you my peace. When he does that, watch what happens. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Can't even figure it out. People in the world looking at us like, how in the world could you be peaceful when you consider your circumstances? He says, it goes beyond human understanding. And that peace will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It rises above our logic. It rises above reasoning, our natural mind. And it is a protector. Actually, that's a military word. It guards your heart and your mind. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was called the Prince of peace because that's his mission it's a peace mission it's a mission of reconciliation he came to bring people and God together in love and through Jesus we can be at peace with God so because of Jesus we can have the peace of God if you've never experienced that what I'm talking about today we're going to have an opportunity in just a few moments because I'm going to pray with us and just I'm believing that today is your day that you can walk out of this place experiencing that kind of peace. Before I do that, I just want to issue a challenge. I want to repeat a challenge that Jesus actually extended to all of us who follow him. It's really a commission. It's an invitation to change the world. This is before he ascended, where Jesus actually calls us to be a part of this ministry or this mission of reconciliation. So I want to read to you just a little bit of this. This is, you'll find this, this commission, this mission of reconciliation described in all of the Gospels. All four of them have a version of it. And then there's another account of it in the book of Acts. So five different times in different ways this is expressed. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. He said, I want you to go to all the nations and bring people and God together in love. Then look at Luke chapter 24. He says to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. Look at Mark chapter 16. He says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That means to every person. I've actually met someone who thought that meant every creature. Tried to baptize kittens. Doesn't work. <laughs> Stick with people. You'll be good. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every Creature, I want you to write this down. God's master plan to reach the world is me. As crazy as that sounds, as broken as we are, as messed up as we know we are, God's master plan to reach the world is me. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians. Our worship team is, is going to come back and help me out. 
This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself. Now watch this. This is very important. It says, And he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. That is the mission of those who follow Jesus to bring God and people together in love. In fact, John chapter 20, verse 19 and 21, again, right before he ascended, it says the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Are, are you starting to see the theme? There's peace available. And then he says, As my Father has sent me, I also send you. So let me say it one more time. God's master plan to reach the world is me. Jesus had followers. They were followers who had been rejected from the rabbinical schools of the day. A lot of parents like to get their kids into rabbinical schools, into you know, academies of instruction. And man, those kids would really be successful in life as they discuss the Torah and all of that. All of the guys who followed Jesus had failed. None of them were accepted into those schools. And so they became people like tax collectors and fishermen. And they had other vocations and all of that. And those were the people that Jesus chose to go and change the world, to go preach in places that he would never preach to bring people who were far from God back into relationship with God. I want you to think about this for just a moment. The greatest rabbi ever chose the worst disciples ever to accomplish the greatest task ever and change the world. We are called to do what he did, and that means we touch the untouchable, we accept the unacceptable, and we, by the way, in the process, if we're like Jesus, we may occasionally offend the religious but we bring people and God together in love. And we need to shout the good news that we can have peace with God and the peace of God. We need to shout it from the rooftops. We need to be whispering it over quiet meals because of Jesus. We are at peace with God and can have the peace of God. So here's my challenge to you this week. Is think of someone in your life who desperately needs to hear the good news. And then prepare yourself, be ready and willing for God to use you to bring that person and God together in love. Can I just ask you, if you're willing, if God opens the door, if you're willing to say right now, I'm going to be ready to go through that door if God opens it, would you just slip a hand up and say, I'll do that. If I find somebody, come on. Thank you. Thank you. I see hands. Of course, you're seated, so it's like you're down here. I love it. God's going to open up some doors for you this week. I'm going to pray for you here in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to come back to those people in this place today. You've come into this house. You're like, man, I have not experienced peace quite like that. I don't know what that looks like. But I want that. I am at a place in my life where I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I want to stop trying to be the God of my life. And I want to let him take his rightful place as the master. I'm willing to stop trusting in myself. I'm willing to say that Jesus is better than any good thing that I could ever do. He is bigger than any bad thing that I have ever done. And so I'm going to trust him and not me. And this is what the Bible says. If you're willing to take that step and put your trust in Jesus Christ in that way, he will declare you right with him. You'll be at peace with God 
and it'll make you eligible to have the peace of God. Would you just close your eyes right where you're seated, just right where you're at? If you're in this place today and you're like, you know what, I want that kind of peace and I want to put my faith in Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you just want to renew your faith in Jesus. With every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up and let me see that commitment today? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can put your hands down. This is what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to pray for you. But after we pray, I want you to check that box on the connection card that says, I am putting my faith in Jesus. Because we want to celebrate with you and we want to provide, if we can, any next steps for you to take. But let me pray. Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this church family, Lord. And I thank you for their hearts to reach those around them with the good news of Jesus. And God, I'm praying that you would open up doors of opportunity this week, that you would lead them to people maybe they've been thinking about talking to for a long time. I pray you would open up those doors and give them the words to say in Jesus' name. And God, I pray for every person that just put their hand up in this house and said, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I want to put my trust in him, and I want the peace that only he can offer. And so I'm trusting in him in Jesus' name. Father, just all together as a church family, we confess that we have tried to be our own Lord and Master. We ask you to forgive us of that. And we put our faith and our trust in you today. And we accept by faith that we are now at peace with you and you have declared us to be right with you. In Jesus' mighty name. Could everybody say amen? Would you just put your hands together and let's celebrate these people that are experiencing new life today. Amen.